never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Batman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that did not eat Ross's sandwich. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Hey, man. Here. <laughs> What's yeah. up? <laughs> Look, I know that that's a 30-year-old joke, but we didn't have a podcast 30 years ago, so we're going to have to make the joke now. I mean, uh, yeah, it was really hard to avoid the moist maker, but uh, yeah, it's true. We, we did it. We didn't eat a sandwich, so <laughs> don't look at us. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, well, how are you, dude? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? How about yourself? Um, I'm okay. So just to give you the heads up, there is a megaton of news, but it's nice. all one story again. <laughs> awesome. It actually continues on about what we were talking about last week because a lot of little nuggets and details have dropped. And mm. it just, in my opinion, has gotten a little weirder. So um, it's not weirder, but more of a we don't really understand what's happening. So... We're going to see if we can make some uh, sense out of that, <laughs> if you will. Um, but anyway, let's talk about watching, reading. What do we, yeah, what do we got for me, bud? Yeah, so um, I uh, went camping over the weekend. I didn't have a chance to watch or read too much. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> for the most part. The one thing that I did manage to fit in, though, was uh, I watched the documentary on Netflix called Trainwreck, which is all about uh, Woodstock 99. Um, oh, okay. Drew, I don't, know if you, I don't know if you're familiar with this at all. Uh, I am not, no. Okay. So I don't know if you remember when Woodstock 1999 happened, but it ended up going really badly and ended in riots and stuff like that. And uh, this documentary was awesome. Uh, I have a coworker who kind of suggested it to me. Like, she was like, oh, I think you'd really dig this. And I was like, okay. So I put it on. And it was one of those things that I started and I started watching it pretty late. And it's three episodes. And it's like, the first two episodes are half an hour and then the third episode's like a full hour. So it's like a two, two hour watch. And it's one of those things that I started it late and watched all the way through. So I went to bed way too late, but I was just hooked as soon as I started because this documentary has like a couple of things going for it. First of all is if you were around in 1999, especially if you were a teenager and you were watching MTV and stuff, this documentary is a huge uh, just nostalgia dive. Like, it's awesome. Like, they talk about so many different bands that uh, performed at Woodstock that you've either thought, like, forgot about or just haven't thought about in a while. And uh, the documentary does a really cool job of showcasing kind of uh, where teen culture was at 
1999, like everything was like super aggressive and like non PC because you had like, (laughs) you know, you had like South Park and stuff like that. But like the biggest bands at the time were bands like Corn and Limp Bizkit and everything was just really aggressive and macho back then. And uh, I think the documentary like does a really good job of showcasing that. But it's also like has that sort of uh, fire fest angle where it has the uh, the showrunners for this concert um, just really, really mismanaged this event. And it goes like into detail with like all the different things that went wrong. And uh, it's really interesting how they actually talk to the people who organize the event. And these people take like no ownership over the riots that happened, as well as a lot of other just really bad uh, issues <laughs> that occurred during uh, the the weekend of this festival. It's one of those things where my jaw was like on the floor with how they took absolutely no ownership of. So I I don't want to go on too much. I just think if this at all sounds like it's within anyone's realm of interests this documentary was really awesome and it's one of those things that i don't know if i just have my nostalgia glasses on but i thought it was like super interesting i actually think it was better than uh any of the fire festival uh documentaries just because it has that like yes this is both like it has that angle of this is a festival gone really really wrong but it also more so than any of the fire fest documentaries it really is in tune with this like snap snapshot of like late nineties culture that I thought was like really cool as well. So uh, definitely highly recommend that. Um, I can move on to my next thing. Unless, unless you had any questions or any comments on that documentary. The documentary sounds interesting in general. I just didn't know that was a, thing a thing yeah (laughs) i think i think it came out a couple months ago and kind of flew under the radar a little bit but drew i think um like knowing like the time uh that this occurred and kind of like the music that we were listening to and stuff i think you would get a kick out of this one like it's pretty interesting um the only other thing i've watched which i can't remember if i mentioned this last week or not i know last week i mentioned that uh I'm on a bit of an Edgar Wright kick right now, and uh, I rewatched The World's End uh, recently, which was pretty cool because this is a movie that I've only seen once. Like, I rented it shortly after it came out, and I haven't watched it in, I don't know, I feel like that was 10 years ago or something, but this was an awesome watch. Like, it's one of those things that the movie was better than I remembered it, and I think it's one of those things that... I'm just that much older and I think I'm that much closer to the age of the characters in the movie. And I can see how you have like Sean Penn's character who is kind of clinging to his youth desperately. And you have all of his friends who have grown up and that dynamic is really, it's really interesting and it's a really cool um, sort of thing to experience, you know, because when I, the first time I watched it, I was in a different place in life and uh, it's just kind of cool to appreciate a movie like that um, when it's like, wow, I can actually relate to these characters a lot more. And uh, sure. I just think it's a really smart film and it's on HBO max. So everybody should check that one out. <laughs> so uh, that's about it for me though. Uh, how about you, Drew? So I watched a lot. Um, I have reviews abound. So here we go. First off, Sweet. I finished the light and magic docuseries on Disney plus. 
absolutely awesome. mind blowing. If you guys really want to understand like how movies are made, special effects are made, the game changer in terms of, you know, we talk on the show a lot about how Star Wars changed the game and they had to kind of like rewrite the book on special effects to create that movie. Watch this documentary and you're going to go, holy cow, because like you're going to really see where we don't get any of the movies we get today if they didn't make Star Wars in 77. Um, because it literally you see the you see the development as it snowballs from one movie to the next movie to the next one, to the next movie mm-hmm. as they get bigger. But you also see in the midst of it the fact that ILM or Industrial Light and Magic, who did all the special effects for Star Wars, they were the company was made to make the movie Star Wars because nobody could do the special effects that were required. So they had to create a company specifically meant to do this. Um, so in the midst of doing that, they ended up inventing Photoshop and they ended, and then they invented <laughs> Pixar and then they invent, you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And then they eventually invented the volume, which the Mandalorian is shooting on now. Like, Look, watch this docuseries. It's incredible. It's mind-blowing. I never wanted it to end. I'm like, it's only six episodes? Come on. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. So nice. and by all means, check it out. Okay. I then watched the first episode of I Am Groot. Um, dropped <laughs> oh, on, nice. I dropped on Disney+. Plus. It is six minutes long. Um, <laughs> it is uh, fantastically James Gunn. Really funny. Um and ultimately, it was just kind of cute. So it honestly, it felt like a James. It's it's almost like if James Gunn was allowed to make a Pixar short, this is what you would get. Okay. Um, nice. Like his bizarre, you know, mentality that is just absolutely gorgeous, and we love watching his work put in a Pixar sense. That's what I felt like I was watching. It's like wow, they kind of just let him do his thing, but with that kind of tech, you know. So it was fun. Um, so I look, I look forward to seeing more. Speaking of Pixar, I watched Lightyear. Nice. Uh, I haven't gotten a chance to watch this yet, but okay. I hear so, good things. <laughs> good things are this. The movie's really fun. Um, it is everything you'd expect. Like you watch the trailer, you're getting exactly what you're going to expect after you're watching the trailer. Um, Buzz Lightyear, the toy has, um, some catchphrases. That he says, you know, you push the button and he says something. Right. You get all those catchphrases out within the first 10 minutes of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And I think that was done on purpose because they want (laughs) you to get over the fact that you're watching Buzz Lightyear and like you're Mm. on a Space Ranger adventure movie. Right. Um, There's some really cool stuff they did with the light speed stuff. They have a they're trying to fix a light speed thing. And. um. They have to do a lot of testing. So when they get to see the light speed stuff, that's probably some of the coolest parts about the movie. Um, I'm not going to spoil this for you, but I kind of am, because if you've watched Toy Story, there's certain things about Buzz Lightyear, you know. So when I say the Zerg stuff was cool, you kind of know General Zerg is going to be in the movie. The Zerg stuff was cool. <laughs> nice. Um, and I really liked that one of the spaceships um, and if you, you got to look for it. One of the spaceships that he's in it's at a certain point is the exact same shape as the box the toy comes in. Thought that was cool. Nice little nod. <laughs> yeah. Um, but ultimately, I mean, it was a fun movie. Um, it's not, I don't think it's one of Pixar's best, and it doesn't rank high on my pantheon. 
but I really enjoyed it. I think the most, the coolest part for me was the movie kind of has an opening crawl. Oh, uh, nice. Where, and I'm going to spoil the opening crawl a little bit because it says in 1994, Andy went and saw a movie that made him like a toy. This is that movie. And you're just like, oh my God, that's amazing. Like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, like, oh man, that's fantastic. I'm so glad I'm watching this, you know? So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Lightyear was fun. So check that out. Um, Speaking of Edgar Wright, I watched The Last Night in Soho. Oh, awesome. What do you think? Uh, this movie is incredible. Um, absolutely incredible. Uh, I want, honestly, I I really did think, sorry, uh, the old man was going to be Matt Smith. Um, and I really liked that uh, reach, that, like, plot spin that they did on that. Yeah. I was like, oh, totally old Matt Smith. That's awesome. And then it wasn't. And then I really one of the, you know, Edgar Wright likes to play with mirrors and showing you stuff where, like, you have to, like, really pay attention to background things. And that was incredible to, like, watch some of the stuff when she was uh, the main character was uh, Elle. Ellie was like, I guess you'd say dreaming or having the visions. Yeah. Of Sandy. And uh, so she's having, like, the visions of the 60s. And you're seeing, like. You're seeing Ellie in the mirrors or like the reflections of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Acid. Those are really cool. But the dance sequence when yeah. Matt Smith asked Sandy to dance and then like the way they shot that where it was like she, he, it's Anya Taylor-Joy and then it's Thomas and McKenzie and it bounces back to Anya Taylor-Joy and then suddenly it's not like I almost wanted to watch that dance like over and over again just to try and figure out how they shot some of that. Because <laughs> um, that's, editing... that's one of the shots I was super excited for you to watch. And uh, as far as from what I've heard, that's all just practical. Like they just mapped it out and did, did the stage blocking so that they could switch the characters back and forth, which is just incredible to think well, about. You know? Well, that's the thing. It's a scene that I kind of wanted to rewind and, re and watch again. But mm -hmm. about halfway through, I figured out how they were doing it. <laughs> oh, nice. And I was like, oh, that's how they're doing it. OK, I like totally like saw right through the red tape. Um, but I was just super impressed. I will say. Yes, I love Edgar Wright. He does some really great stuff. He's a really great writer. So I really enjoyed the story. I really liked the plot twists and everything like that. Um, but one of the things that really blew me away was Thomas and Mackenzie's performance. Like, really blew me away. She is a phenomenal actress. The first thing I saw uh, her in was Jojo Rabbit. Because mm. uh, she plays the little Jewish girl hiding in the hiding in the wall. Um, so that was the first time I got to see her. And then, so I started watching this movie. I'm like, oh, it's this chick. That's right. Cool. And I'm just in, I'm just like, I'm with it. And I loved that opening sequence when she's like in the dress that's like the newspaper dress or whatever. Yeah. That and she's just dancing in her room and trying to mimic breakfast with Tiffany's. It was such a touching kind of moment because I didn't know what I was going in for. I honestly yeah. had no clue. I watched the trailer and thought this looks fun. You know, yeah. Uh, what what I one thing I loved about that opening sequence is it makes you feel you start watching the movie and you feel like it's going to the whole movie is going to take place in the 60s. And then it's like revealed a little bit later that it's modern day. And uh, the only other movie I know that that I've seen that's done that is actually uh, Death Proof uh, by, you know, Quentin Tarantino's oh, sure. Grindhouse film like. That movie starts out and you think it takes place during the 70s until at one part there's a character texting on their cell phone and you're like, oh, 
I guess this is present day. I had no idea. And that's the only other movie that I've seen do that. But I think it's a great uh, little trick there. But uh, yeah, yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah, no. I, it, the uh, Once it started getting weird, and when I say that, I mean, once you started actually having the pieces of the puzzle fall into place with the ghosts and everything that was really yeah. going on, that's where I thought the movie took like, not that it was bad. It just that's where I felt the movie took the turn that I wasn't kind of expecting it to take. Because yeah. I thought it got a little horror movie-esque, which mm-hmm. I'm okay with because of what the story was telling. I just wasn't expecting it. I was like, oh, okay, we're going this way. All right, that's cool. Um, <laughs> I just wasn't expecting that to happen. So at, at the very first, it took me out of it just a little bit because I was, <laughs> I was just like, well, that's not the movie I thought I was watching right now, you know. Um, yeah, it was it was an interesting twist. I think it has that effect where it's like, there's all these sort of like ghosts or phantoms or what, how, whatever you want to call them. And once you start seeing those characters and stuff, it does take a little bit away from the mystery. So I, I understand where you're coming from, where like once that starts happening, you, it takes you a little bit out of um, it's a little bit less suspenseful, actually, almost when it goes the horror out. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely know what you mean there. It's, it's hard um, to put into words, but yeah, otherwise, I thought the movie was great. Uh, yeah, it was really good. Uh, so <laughs> last night in Soho, everybody, check that out. Um, okay, the next movie I watched was Uncharted. Oh, cool. Uh, I, I saw this was on Netflix. I haven't watched it yet, though. It is on Netflix now. Um, okay, for video game movies, this is definitely in the better category than most video game movies. <laughs> right? Okay, nice. I say that because video game movies tend to have a stigma of not being great. Yeah, um, this is definitely in the better category. Right. Um, it's not the best acting. So don't go in looking for like, you know, astounding performances. Um, the movie felt very short to me, um, even though it is a like it's like it's a straight two hours. It just felt short for some reason, um, which is maybe a good thing, because maybe you want it to just keep moving. Yeah. That's why. Um the movie's a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed the archae- archaeological puzzles and that kind of stuff. But I do feel there wasn't enough, and this is just me criticizing a little bit. I felt that the movie took place a little bit too much in the urban setting. Um, right. Like, uh, like it starts in a city. That's fine. He, you know, Tom Holland playing Nathan Drake meets, you know, um, He's a bartender in like Manhattan and he meets, you know, Mark Wahlberg, which starts off the adventure. But they spend way more time in like urban settings than I expected them to. Um, I don't mark that as a dig against the movie. It just wasn't what I was expecting. But so it's, it's pu- basically the fantastic beasts and where to find them of video game movies. That's <laughs> what you're saying. <laughs> I don't know if I would. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The reason I say that is I thought when I was went in to see Fantastic Beasts, I thought it was going to be this adventure movie that went to a bunch of exotic locations. And the movie almost entirely takes place in New York. And I was kind of like, I thought this was going to be about where to find them. But I guess it's just about the beasts. You're probably you're probably in New York for the first 20 minutes of the movie. Okay, Um, but I just wasn't expecting it to be there for that long. Yeah, uh, but you were also doing character development and, you know, that kind of stuff. So that it was OK. Um, like I said, the puzzles, the archaeological stuff, that was getting really fun. And it's very clear that they could totally franchise this movie. They they clearly want to make 
more. Um, make sure you sit through the credits a little bit. There's no bonus scene at the end end, but there's definitely is there? Yeah, there is. There's something at the end. end. There's, a couple <laughs> nice. sl- there's a couple slots um, where they put some extra stuff. So uh, make sure you either fast forward to the end or sit through the credits, however you want to do it. Um, but it's very clear that they want to do more with this, which is cool. Um, and I hope they do because they can totally franchise this out. Um, criticism for Tom Holland. When I think of Nathan Drake, I totally think of older. Right. That has nothing to do with his acting or him as a person. It's just I was I would expect older for Nathan Drake based on my knowledge of the game. The catch is, is if they clearly want to franchise this and they want Tom Holland to be in it. Having a young kid play Nathan Drake means they can he can grow with the franchise and be there for a while. So maybe that's the smart way to go. Um, the and I will say this. Whether you like or dislike what you're watching when you check this out, the helicopter chase scene with the boats is worth the price of admission by itself. Um, that was that was probably, in my opinion, the most fun of the movie. Um, I had a blast watching that sequence. So, hel- that, yeah, the end of the movie with the helicopter nice. chase, it's <laughs> awesome. Um, but, yeah, otherwise, I mean, the movie was a lot of fun. So check it out, dude. It's definitely worth the watch. Nice. Um, and most importantly, and I saved it for last on purpose, and I can be done with my watching category. I watched. I went and saw Bullet Train. Oh, sweet! How was that? Bullet Train is so much fun in the most ridiculous way. Okay. Um, I'm nice. gonna <laughs> I'm gonna spoil it. I'm gonna spoil a couple things, but it's just because I want to make the movie exciting. That's fine. So <laughs> what you get from the trailer is Brad Pitt's on a train. Got to do a job, right? He's either CIA or ex-CIA. He's something. You don't really ever find out, which is okay. But his job is literally get on the train, find this briefcase, and get it off the train. All right? So the train is going from Tokyo, Japan. It's a bullet train from Tokyo to Kyoto. And he's literally getting on in Tokyo, find the briefcase. As soon as he finds it, get off at whatever stop he's at, and he'll get picked up. They'll take it from there. That's what he knows. Well, he finds the briefcase pretty darn quick. And with a run of bad luck, he gets stuck on the train at the very first stop. Like he's trying to get off and he can't get on. He can't get off. So he's stuck for another stop. So while he's there, he's like, well, I know. And he sees two like hitmen from a job from like years ago. Like, why are they on the train? And then he sees another one. Why is he on the train? And he sees another one. Well, why is he on the train? And all this stuff starts to come into play. And like it's all wrapped up in one big story. Um, with the same kind of like, they're all focused on the same goal, I guess you could say. Um, but the way it plays, I would almost liken it to the way smoke and aces plays out in terms of them all converging in the same point at once. Um, it smoking aces was the best thing I could liken it to just because that's what it kind of felt like the way all these hitmen and assassins were like popping in. Um, nice. Uh, and the movie's really funny. Because at that point, the guns come out and then the swords come out. And then the more um, the more crazy and ridiculous it gets, the more they explain things. So there's so many parts in the movie that you're going to go, hold on, wait, what? And then they're going to explain it and you're going to go, oh, yeah, I buy that. Great. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And I'm just like, wow, that's far-fetched. And then they explain it. You're like, oh, I guess it's not far-fetched. <laughs> um, really, really cool. Um, there is two hitmen that are like partners that are using really great call signs. I'm not going to tell you what they are because it's funny. It makes the conversation really funny when they're trying <laughs> to pick up their call signs. But um, one of them is obsessed with Thomas the Train. Oh, great. <laughs> and he he's talking to this guy like, you know, I learned a lot. I learned everything I need to know about people from watching Thomas the Train. Um, and the guy's, oh, crap, not the Thomas the Train thing again. And he reaches into his pocket and pulls out his, his little, like, sticker book. And he's like, you're not going to show him the stickers, are you? He's like, yeah, I bring the stickers <laughs> everywhere I go. And he's got this, like, Thomas the Train, like, sticker pad. And he's, like, talking to the guy. He's like, now, here, you're a lot like Percy, and this is why. And <laughs> it comes up a lot during the movie, but it's so funny. And it's so, like, helps the plot move along, and it you're kind of with it. You're just like, yeah, okay, this is hilarious. Nice. There are, I don't laugh a lot in the theater. Like when I'm watching a movie, I'm very, yes, there's a lot of comedies I think are hilarious, but I don't laugh a lot during comedies. I'm kind of still studying the movie, even though on the inside I'm dying. Like that's one of the funniest things I ever heard kind of moments. I'm still like (laughs) quiet and just focused on the movie. Um, There are several points in this movie that I legit laughed out loud in the theater. So. Uh, that says something, but maybe because it was like you weren't expecting it to be there, and it made you laugh even harder. So, so, look, so you proved that you had a soul, that you have a soul, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I really, really had a lot of fun watching. I know it's got some ne- com- couple negative reviews there. But it's such a fun movie, man, and um, it's very clear that this movie was made very closely to the time frame of um, uh, the Lost City. With Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum, because Brad Pitt's also in The Lost City, and Sandra Bullock is in Bullet Train, Channing Tatum's in Bullet Train, <laughs> so like it's kind of like, hey, I'm doing this movie, will you come cameo for me? Great. Well, I'm doing this movie, will you guys come cameo nice. for me? <laughs> you know, I just I, that's how I felt when I was watching it. Um, and there's another cameo that is in the movie that I won't spoil because it's really gonna make you laugh. And it's a cameo that only exists because Brad Pitt did someone else a favor and did a cameo in their movie a while back. <laughs> oh, man. Um, now, you, now you got my wheels turning. Um, and, uh, and I already have theories of what it might be. And, and, you, and you probably, based on that <laughs> sentence alone, if you think real hard, I bet you can figure out who the cameo is. But yeah. When, but when you get to the cameo, I, it made me laugh. I was like, oh, that's because Brad Pitt did the favor. So you, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um. So, yeah, no, the, look, the movie's a lot of fun. I also say this. There are, when the credits roll, don't get up right away. There's nothing at the very end. There's, like, they start the credits, and then they show you a quick scene, and then there's that, like, middle credit moment that Marvel does a lot. Um, One of those sequences. There's nothing at the end. So it's just those two, like, quick ones at the beginning of the credits there. So, um, Yeah. Check it out, man. It's Bullet Train was a lot of fun. So nice. Um, that is it for watching and reading. Um, so are you ready to talk about the news? <laughs> yeah, let's go for it. Okay. So last week we talked about the nonsense going on with what is happening over at Warner Brothers with the Discovery Plus merger, HBO Max, and everything, and the cancellation of the Batgirl movie. Yes. This has gotten bigger. 
And uh, there's just more pieces, you know, in play right now. Um, the big concern is um, what's getting canceled, what's staying. Um, so, for example, just off the off the bat, the Gotham Night Show for the CW, done, gone. Okay. So we're not getting that at all. So, because when I talked last week about how the Flash has got one more season, and then that was going to be the it for the Arrowverse. One of the things we didn't talk about last week was Gotham Knights, but literally we hit stop on the record button, like we stopped recording, and they announced the Gotham Knights was canceled. So okay. that's that's off the table completely. Um, then um, HBO Max, there was a report um, that Walter Hamada, um, when he got the Batgirl news, he he like said, "I'm officially going to quit and resign." I'm going to and then he turned around and said, I'm going to stick around. Um, he, he almost left because of the Batgirl cancellation. And then he decided to remain for Black Adam to re- release in October. OK, so is literally like Walter Mata's like, no, this is dumb. I'm stepping down. I can't handle this and was getting ready to leave. However. Warner Brothers and Discovery Plus want Walter Hamada to continue being in charge of. DC films. Okay. <laughs> okay. So he was like, no, I'm going to do, I'm going to stay and I'm going to leave as soon as Black Adam comes out. I'm done. And then they're like negotiating. No, 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 no. Stay. We have a plan. Yeah. Because Warner Brothers is saying that they have this big 10 year plan for DC. The big thing right now is that HBO Max will be replaced next year by a new streaming service combined with Discovery Plus. <sighs> okay. I think what you need to do, because you're going to confuse the hell out of your subscribers, is you need to just add Discovery Plus to HBO Max. Yeah, I would agree with that. And kind of like Disney Plus, let Disney Plus be the brand name and throw National Geographic on it. Let HBO Max be the household name and throw Discovery Plus on it. Like, that's what you need to do. Like, and personally, in my opinion, I'm not surprised that a new streaming service is coming out just add to what's there i guess i don't know yeah i i um, can say that um hbo max has honestly kind of become my go-to streaming service at this point like it's the streaming service that i open more than any others because i feel like i always find a good movie or show on there um as opposed to like some of the other options and it just makes me worried if they're gonna reboot it or if they're going to completely change it to a different streaming service because I want to still have that content catalog, you know, at my fingertips, you know. Right. Well, let's talk about this. So Kevin Smith was working on a animated series for Disney Plus called Strange Adventures. Uh, was okay. it be about Adam, uh, the DC comic character Adam Strange. Um, he was going to be a, he was going to be one of the writers on the show. Um, according to Kevin Smith, HBO Max's Strange Adventures is officially canceled. Okay. Okay. So there we go. Um, Super Supergirl, the Black Superman movie, the Static Shock movie, the Green Lantern projects are all reportedly in jeopardy right now. So we have to beg the question: What is going on right? Now? <laughs> yeah. Like, what is happening? Um, the development has reportedly slowed on more uh, diverse state of DC films, TV series with no directors attached to any of the project links. So right now you have like stuff going like literally like just stopping everything. 
Um, it's it's weird because on one hand you have like Static Shock, which we just talked about a couple weeks ago. I feel I know um, the announcement of so that probably wasn't that far into development, even though I thought that sounded like an amazing yeah, and it was movie gonna, to make, and it was going to be Lucas from Stranger Things playing the character. Yeah, but then on the other hand, you have like Green Lantern, which. I'm assuming they're talking about the TV show is in yeah. jeopardy, which they've been working on for, what, two years at this point? <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and Green Lantern, and you know how at the end of the Snyder Cut, uh, Green Lantern was supposed to be the character talking to Bruce Wayne at the end, right. not Martian Manhunter. And they told him they he couldn't do Green Lantern because the Green Lantern show was coming. And okay. in the problem with the Snyder Cut, I feel like Zack Snyder should have just said, no, I'm going to do my movie the way I'm doing it. It's <laughs> supposed to be allowing me to do it. But he played the game of, I get it, you know, and gave us Martian Manhunter instead, which yeah, I wasn't like when he said it was going to make everyone really happy. I was like, OK, I think it would have been cooler if it was Green Lantern. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, DC was reportedly planning a Crisis on Infinite Earths movie before the Discovery takeover. Um, OK. But now uh, it, this likely won't happen because DC films are ongoing restructuring and a new ten, for a new 10 year plan. Um, when I was reading through this, it's literally like there's so many articles where people don't know enough information. So my speculation is it's not that you couldn't do this kind of a movie like you. It's not that you couldn't do a Christ in front of this movie with a 10 year plan. You just have to like build to it if you want it to be the big if you want that to be your big event you know treat that like your avengers yeah. crossover film right however in the midst of all of this um people are now wondering what else is at stake like the last of us series is that going to get canceled right you know what i mean it's not just the dc <laughs> properties that people are worried about because there was discussion of harley quinn getting canceled and not getting another season after this, like, because we just got season three, is Harley Quinn officially off the table? Sounds like Harley Quinn is safe for right now. Okay. Um, the big question that's rolling around in everyone's heads is it sounds like, from everything that I've been reading to try and keep up with this, is that it sounds like there was a report that said HBO Max to remove all scripted content in its entirety. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, House of the Dragon drops in a week. <laughs> yeah. What is happening? <laughs> so it's John Oliver actually made a really funny joke on his show this past week about um, the cancellations and good move guys and that kind of stuff, which made me laugh because John Oliver is is like his show exists on HBO Max. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, he made a joke straight on his show about it. Um, so there's a lot of like, what is happening over at HBO? And I don't have any answers. I'm just trying to tell you what I can explain. I will say Blue Beetle movie and James and multiple James Gunn projects moving forward at WB and James Gunn confirmed that Peacemaker uh, season two is still happening and it's safe. So everyone can come. <laughs> That's um, awesome. And it sounds silly, but the Blue Beetle movie out of everything you've mentioned is the one that I'm looking forward to the most. And I feel <laughs> like that sounds funny because it's not that it's not the biggest character, but I am so excited for that thing. So I'm glad that it's safe for now. <laughs> well, so I'm going to. All right. So, James. Yes. Yeah, so that and season two of that uh, <laughs> get going. So I'm going to let me the, the story's going to get a little weirder. <laughs> not that it couldn't. 
Um, right. So Kevin Smith had some things to say about the cancellation, and I just wanted to read these quotes real quick. Kevin Smith in his Fat Man Beyond podcast decided to talk about it, and he said it's an incredibly bad look to cancel the Latina Batgirl movie. I don't give a shit if the movie was absolute effing dog shit. Man, I guarantee that you it wasn't. The two directors who directed that movie did a couple of episodes of Miss Marvel, and that was a wonderful effing show, you know, great looking, and they had uh, more money to do Batgirl than they did an episode of Miss Marvel and stuff. All And also, I love the CW shows, and the CW shows and their budgetary constraints, and the big complaint they said there was, oh, well, it's not big enough to be an effing theatrical release, so it looked too cheap because it was a $90 million movie. How do you make a cheap-looking $90 million effing movie? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it looked, but it looked like anything, like slightly better than an episode of Effing Arrow. Why couldn't we have seen that? It feels like there's more than just we're gonna have to save twenty million dollars. Like I don't know, man. That's all he had to say. Like he, it was literally like Smith is like, I don't understand. That sounds like a bad mood. But he's right. In a world of women empowerment and racial diversity, you're gonna cancel the Latina Batgirl movie. <laughs> right. It just seems like what do you get? I I don't know. Um, Kevin Feige reached out to uh the Batgirl uh, crew, and he said, my friends, I have to reach out and let you know I was thinking about you both because of the wonderful news about this wedding. Congrats and the disappointing news about Batgirl. Very proud of you guys for all the amazing work you do, and particularly on Miss Marvel, of course. Can't wait to see what's next for you. Hope to see you soon. And Kevin Feige, you guarantee he's like, well, DC doesn't yeah. want him. You guys can come over here. You guys did good work on Miss Marvel. So, right on. Right. Um, this is where the story gets weird. So we have those little quotes. We have these stories about all these cancellations, right? Oops, I am totally... There we go. Um, rumor. Warner Brothers has chosen the Snyderverse timeline, and WB Chief David Zaslav rumored to have changed the Flash story to restore the Snyderverse. Which okay. is why all these cancellations are happening, because now that... And Sarnoff and all these people aren't are in anymore. They can go, no, no, we need to fix this because you guys messed it up. We're cleaning house. This doesn't have to do with the Snyderverse. Get it gone. This doesn't have to do with the Snyderverse. Take care of it. You know, so it is a rumor and no one really knows if we can trust this. Um, however, and this is where I don't know what's going on. Idris Elba wants his suicide character to fight an on-screen Superman. Okay, he's, cool. <laughs> and he's been very and he's been very vocal saying Bloodsport versus Superman, it needs to happen. Um and he's specifically referring to Henry Cavill's Superman. On top I of I feel that, like there's a power disparity there, but okay. I mean, I'd, the, I'd be there, up for there watching is, <laughs> There is, but when you watch the Suicide Squad, they talk about him using a kryptonite bullet to try and to hospitalize Superman, so you're just like, yeah, why not? But Black Adam has reportedly added a new post-credit screen, a new post-credit okay. scene. Um, recently, test screening of Black Adam reported included a new post-credit scene, which included a new element um, to Johnson's uh, place in the DC universe. It's unclear at this point what post-credit scene could ultimately be, especially after years of rumors and speculation about the crossover between Johnson's Black Adam and Henry Cavill's Superman. And then saying that he wants to fight Superman and the big situation at Comic-Con where he got the booze on stage where he said, well, I guess it depends on who's playing him. Um, so hearing that the, all these cancellations are happening because they're like, hold on, we want to go back to the Snyderverse stuff because we're cleaning house. 
and then hearing that they're going and they're doing reshoots to get a new post credit scene added makes me wonder um, that we're all jumping the gun, but they haven't told us what the plan is. You know? Yeah. So, so yeah, there's there's like a ton to unpack there. Um, yeah, and there is. <laughs> kind of like last week, I think I'm going to take the optimistic look at this and say the thing is, for a while, there's a lot. There's been so many Warner Brothers and DC announcements that have just left us confused on this show, like because they've been releasing some cool stuff. The Batman was an awesome movie. We got the Snyder cut. We've got like they've released confirmed that the Batman's moving forward with the two sequels. They're planning the trilogy for that. They're like, yeah. Reed wants to do a trilogy. Pattinson wants to do a trilogy. It made a ton of money. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And and like I, I was just saying, like, they've released some really cool stuff. But as far as a cohesive direction for the DC movies, like we've been very confused for a while. And like since we're just sitting on the outside, like we don't know what's going on when it comes to, uh, you know, like guys in suits and the Warner Brothers offices, like trying to plan out this stuff and stuff like that. It's possible that there's been a lot of mismanagement and just bad decisions being made behind the scenes. And that's kind of probably causing the confusion about like the direction of the DC movie universe in general. And maybe it's like discovery is coming in and they are just kind of correcting the course. And that means like, again, like certain projects are going to get scrapped and certain things are going to sting, but I'm hoping that this is going to be like, this is just a big course correction. And within a year or two, we're going to have a much more clear view of what the DC cinematic universe is and uh, what direction they're going in. And uh, I'm just hoping this is for the better. I'm hoping that it's like, they're just correcting course behind the scenes. And we're seeing like this dastardly or disastrous aftermath of it right now. But hopefully it's kind of just correcting course is kind of what I'm hoping for, but I don't really know. Cause my, my main, my main point is like, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We're just getting these announcements and going, huh? But there could be tons of stuff going on behind the scenes right now that we just don't know about. You know what I mean? Agreed. And there's not basically what's happening is we're at a point where they're making announcements and we're freaking out, but they haven't given us a t- uh, plan yet. And yeah. we want, and we just honestly, we want to know what the plan is. So, and maybe they're gonna do it. Maybe they're gonna have some really crazy announcement. Like maybe they're gonna announce. Maybe Henry Cavill is gonna come out in a Superman suit <laughs> at some event, and he's gonna announce the plan. Or maybe they have something crazy that's just gonna blow people's minds like that. So. I just, I guess, like, you just can't hold, you know, you can't, can't lose hope, I guess, is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, um, I agree. Uh, let's see here. So, we'll see what happens. We'll see how it plays. We're, we're obviously going to be telling you guys that we learn things. Um, okay. Uh, Live-action Pac-Man movie in the works. <laughs> I laugh because live-action is really funny, but okay. That's... And I, that was what made me laugh, too, um, that, uh, you know, live action films are developed based on the classic arcade game with endless appetite. <laughs> so, yeah, it's the live action part of that sentence that made me laugh, too. That's why I had to bring it up. Like, I I absolutely I love 
Pac-Man. Like, I love the original arcade game and, like, it's uh, sequel games and all that. And I've always loved that Pac-Man is, like, it's very similar to Mario in that it's, like, what's the plot of Pac-Man? Like, I almost feel like Pac-Man has more of a plot than Mario. (laughs) But it's, like, how do you convert that into a story? You know, if you want to do a movie or a show or something about it. And so... I'm very interested. Um, I have no idea how they're going to do this, but I'm very interested in this. So, yeah. Um, all right. Disney plus is going to increase subscription costs. Don't, womp, everyone, womp. <laughs> don't everyone panic. I think we all saw this coming. Um, they talked about releasing a version with ads um, and they're going to be having an ad free version, which is going to get the increased uh, subscription price. And it's going to be steep, too. It's jumping from the current $6.99 to $10.99. Wow. Um, here's the thing I'm not surprised. I get it. I'm not canceling Disney Plus because there's too much Star Wars and Marvel stuff coming. Not to mention the some side Disney stuff that I watch. There's too much of the bigger things that I watch. This is going to be this will be a staple. And I think we're all staying on board. So don't panic and everyone freak out and go on the Internet and be like Disney Plus is like, you know, you know, robbing me blind. Like that's not <laughs> not what's happening here um, <laughs> for what well, I say. Just don't don't get on your high horse and just learn to to watch stuff with ads. <laughs> yeah, or, or you could do that, too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, and I got one more story. Um, this is a science story because uh, we haven't had one of those in a while. Um, did you know, Peter, that the days are getting shorter? Like seasonally or? <laughs> well, there's seasonally because, you know, we're, you know, you have your summer solstice and we're cruising towards the winter solstice. But no, I'm not talking about the days for daylight sunlight because that's. You know, when you say the days are getting shorter, like, yeah, people think of daylight, but they what they forget to think about is a day on the planet is 24 hours. Right. Nighttime or daytime, it's 24 hours. On July 26, 2022, scientists announced that the Earth experienced its shortest day on record, uh, with that particular day being 1.5 milliseconds faster than on average. We're used to measuring wow. each day as a tw- as a set 24 hours, yet this is newly uh, this is merely for simplicity. In fact, every day is slightly different length, although a difference in length is usually so minuscule that it goes unnoticed. However, over the past few years, the Earth has begun to spin faster. Uh, this trend has resulted in scientists recording shorter days. Stranger still is the fact that they do not precisely know why this is occurring so what's <laughs> happening is is we have a 24-hour clock and it's based on the spin of the earth and because we're spinning faster we're just under 24 hours so when you say that your watch is off by like a minute you might be a little more in tune than you think you are <laughs> um i just thought that was really interesting uh when i was looking when i was reading through the article so i just think there's a completely obvious explanation why this is happening and that is well. Darth Thumb is pointing the Death Thumb laser at our planet oh. and playing "Spin the Planet" right now. Yeah, spin the planet. <laughs> wow, that's a reference I wasn't expecting. Spin the planet. 
Um, I'm also, I totally welcome shorter days though. I mean, if this happens and we want to change up the calendar or something, I think, I think we're all due for something new. You know, we've had the same calendar and day length for a long time. I'm up for mixing it up. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. I don't know. It's, I have no idea the implications of this, but this, that's a really weird story. And it's kind of, on one end, it's like, well, this doesn't really affect my daily life. But on, on the other side of things, it's kind of like, it makes you wonder, you know, why exactly is this happening? But uh, definitely really interesting. So well, I don't I don't know. <laughs> this, the possibility of, like, the scary side of it, like, what could it mean? Um, you know, is why are the days getting shorter in terms of what's the downside? You know, that's the scary part. That's the part that'll keep you up at night. Um but yeah, so that's all I got for the news, man. Um, all right, then. <laughs> you want to talk about tonight's list? Yeah, let's go for it. Perfect. All right, so let's roll the thing. And now for the top five. All right, Peter. So <laughs> this was my list. Yeah. Uh, this list exists because I was watching the Light and Magic documentary on Disney Plus, and it's gorgeous and mind-blowing to sit and listen to these guys talk about how they create all these special effects for these movies. However, there's a point where Ken Ralston said something that made me go, holy cow. Like, it literally, like, almost made me – it made me sit up straight at the idea of what he said. He said, if the movie – if the effect – if you watch a movie and you think to yourself, that was a cool effect, then the effects guy failed. Yeah. Because and, and the reason that that's an important like thing to say is because those effect guys want you to believe that everything is real. And if you're saying that that was a really cool effect, that means that they failed at their job because you saw it as an effect and not actually happening. Yeah. Um, and so that's one of the reasons I thought, let's talk about special effects tonight. Let's dive in, pick five special effects that we really need to talk about, um, dissect, break down, that kind of thing. Um, I have a feeling we there's a chance we matched on one of them, maybe, probably not. Who knows? Um, we'll find I, out. I have a feeling... I have a feeling we might match on certain movies and franchises, but I don't know specific moments. I feel like we won't. match. Well, I was trying to find specific moments when I was building this list. Um, Yeah. Like, yeah, I'll name a movie, but this is the specific moment I'm thinking of. And this is the specific moment as to why. Um, The I think I was thinking about this, too, when I was putting this list together. When I talk movies with people, I have a friend of mine who every time. We're talking about a movie. She'll like, especially older movies, she'll use the statement going, um, I don't know the, I mean, the movie was fine. It's the graphics didn't, you know, <laughs> and it's, and it's funny to me because saying graphics is it's the way she says it is correct in a way, but it's just wrong enough to bother me <laughs> because you know, she's referring to visual effects, not graphics. Um, and nowadays, like if you, well, go watch Light and Magic, and by the time you come out of it, you're going to go look at a Marvel movie, and you're going to go, oh, my God, this is entirely CG, like almost 100% CG. And then you're going to look at something practical like Top Gun and go, oh, my God, this is real. Um, you can see 
you, you'll, you're going to be able to see through the red tape. And that's, I mean, maybe that's going to ruin the movies for you, to be honest. But, you know, um, there is, uh, how did you find doing this list? Was it, did it bother you? Did it like, um, I think this is a really fun list. I love the topic. Um, I, I don't know if I had trouble putting it together. I think this is a list that there's so many movies and moments that just didn't make my list. And it's one of those things that I feel like there's even moments I probably didn't think of in the moment while I put this together. And I think this is one that I just might regret not including certain things, but um, no, I had a really fun time putting this together and uh, I think I got some really cool moments as well. So yeah, I don't know the list as a whole. I just thought it was, pretty fun and i love the topic yeah i don't know i don't know what else to say right. besides that you know <laughs> um i'm gonna spoil one special effect before we start going real quick because this makes me laugh when i bring this up and people go wait how in star trek when they're on the ship and they're taking fire from another ship or a weapon or some kind and there's an explosion and everything shakes and everyone falls over out of chairs over railings that kind of stuff the set does not shake. <laughs> They're actually shaking the camera, and the actors are simply acting. <laughs> right. Very cheap special effect. <laughs> just That's give true. the camera a little jiggle, and everyone responds. Um, I just had to bring that up right now because I think it's funny, but I also think it's just a really cool, easy way to go. So, yeah, I know how they did it, but just believe what you're watching. Again, if you if if you think it's an effect, then they didn't do their job. <laughs> well, All now right. you're you're making me think of older special effects that didn't make my list, and you're making me think of, and I hope this isn't a spoiler, but Batman and Robin from the '66 uh, Batman <laughs> series climbing up the side of different buildings and talking to people in the windows and like. Right. I didn't even think in that direction, but that could be a good shout out, you know. What but I that's mean? A, but so. that's a special effect in terms of they literally just turned the camera sideways. Yeah. And then it was them just walking on flat ground with a rope. You know what I mean? It and it looks like they're climbing up a building. Like that's <laughs> I did that shot. It's just a, I mean that's just how you do that. Um. All right. So I have two honorable mentions. Uh, uh, I do as well. So. Okay. Perfect. So this was my list. You got to go first. Right. So um, let's see. I'll go with one. I've talked about this a lot. And this is more this one's kind of the full movie. Um, there are a couple uh, moments that I do want to mention, but it's really the, the entire movie of uh, Dead Alive, which is Peter Jackson's um, second or third film. I always forget if this one came before or after Meet the Feebles. But uh, this is a movie that it's a zombie movie. Um, it takes place or it was filmed in New Zealand. Uh, I believe it takes place in New Zealand as well. But it's known as the goriest movie ever made, or at least it was <laughs> at the time. And it is filled with that sort of really delicious sort of 80s latex gore effects. So we're talking about like all these crazy zombie characters and stuff and tons of blood and stuff. But the reason I love this movie is the aesthetics of it. It doesn't look real. Like the gore in it doesn't really gross me out because it doesn't look real. It kind of has a cartoony aspect to it. Like everything looks super 
exaggerated. It all, yeah, it looks and feels cartoony and the craft in it as well. I really love too. Um, but this makes an honorable mention cause it's really the full movie. If I had to pick like a specific moment, I would really go with, uh, there's a baby zombie character in the movie. And, uh, some of those moments are really great because the baby zombie is like, it's more of a puppet as opposed to like an actual baby or kid or something that they put makeup on. It's kind of like this weird puppet baby zombie. And it has that sort of, you know, like Goro from the Mortal Kombat movie where that was an animatronic character. Like it has that level of uncanny valley that I feel like Goro is the best character I could compare it to. But uh, I think all the baby scenes are really fun in that movie as well. So, uh, yeah, Dead Alive. I don't know. I, I've talked about this movie before. I kind so. of forgot about Dead Alive. And like I thought about some of the um, so horror movies in general because there's a lot of horror movie effects. But I always felt yeah. like most of those are like. Um, I felt like a lot of them were going to be like, uh, makeup effects and stuff, which I didn't really put into my like idea when I was trying to put together. my Right. List. Ma- the majority of my list is makeup effects, actually. Oh, so okay. we're going to have some variety here. <laughs> All right, good. Um, my first one, my first honorable mention is Top Gun Maverick as a whole. Um, okay. there's a lot of really amazing special effects that in this movie, but. The reason this is an honorable mention is because it's real in a way that most special effects are not because they literally just mounted cameras to real planes and they put cameras inside planes and they literally were like, how real can we make this movie? So most of the special effects aren't effects at all. It's real life. This is exactly how it functions, period. Um, And I know we've talked about, you know, Top Gun Maverick before, but I wanted to bring it up because I didn't want someone going what you're not talking about Top Gun Maverick tonight. That's a lot of cool special <laughs> effects. I'm like, no, we're not. Cause those aren't, in my opinion, those aren't really special effects so much as some guy just had the idea of putting the thing right on the airplane itself. So. Yeah. <laughs> I think, so, yeah. I think this is, uh, this definitely deserves a mention. I still feel like this is the movie of the summer. I think that, uh, I think this, this is a movie, movie year to be completely honest, but we're just I'd like, if you, if true. You, again, yeah. Again, we're still X amount of months away from Oscar nods, Oscar movie, Oscar push. But if you were to talk, ask, say, what's your favorite movie of the year? It's Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. So, and this is this is a movie where, like, every other big budget movie coming out is a, a CGI fest, you know? And I think this is a movie where it is, like, so much of it is done practically, and it's super impressive. And I think it's going to age really well because of that, too. So I think this is a great pick for sure. Sure. Um, all right, man. What's your next honorable mention? Yeah. So my next one, I actually saw this on a lot of uh, people's like top 10 lists and stuff online and stuff. But I went with uh, this is another one where it's a full movie or actually a full movie series. But I went with the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but really focusing on the forced perspective from those movies, you know, where you have um, Elijah Wood and the other Hobbit characters, Sean Astin, etc., who, you know, like. I mean, both of those actors I just mentioned are on the shorter side, but they're still, you know, like close to average height and uh, next standing next to uh, Gandalf, like standing next to Ian McKellen. There was so many just clever shots that Peter Jackson used to make, you know, the hobbits further in, in the distance and Gandalf in the foreground of the shot to make it look like the regular or the human characters are much larger than these hobbits. And like, 
the reason I picked this is this is something that you watch the movie and you don't even notice, but so much of it was just trick photography and it was really cleverly done. And it was really, uh, I really just think this was seamlessly done. Like it's like what you were saying, Drew, about like, if you see a special effect and think, how did they do that? The special effect artist failed. And I feel like in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, I think this is a seamless thing. Like I never watched those movies and really thought about the trick photography. Cause I just think it was that well done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nice. And I hear you. And that's, I feel like you're promoting the camera trick specifically. I think, right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know, I know they did a little bit like they had uh, little people stand-ins for certain scenes and stuff. They, they had, they had some different effects that they used, but I think, what impresses me is I really do think this is a seamless piece of craft that they did with the photography of that movie when it comes to the different sized characters and how they made that so believable. Right. Um, yeah. All right. So my next uh, honorable mention, my last honorable mention is any Star Wars film. <laughs> nice. And you think to yourself, how does Star Wars make it into the honorable mention category and not the actual slot of picks when star wars came out or when i star star wars i was a kid and i was blown away by the movies like a lot of people were but i was blown away on a different scale i was not thinking how they make it how they do it it was all about lightsabers and flying x-wings and fighting darth vader and you know riding tauntauns and stuff like that it was like i was sucked into the story i never looked at them as effects until I decided until I started wanting to learn how the things was put together. Yeah. So they weren't effects to me by all means. I don't value any movies effects more than I do star Wars because of what that movie did to the industry. But when I got into star Wars, they weren't effects to me. It was, that was, it was real. I didn't know any better. You know, like that's this is how I saw it. I could not see through the red tape. I didn't know. It's just this is how it is, and it's awesome, and this is amazing, and they need to make movies like this more often. And you know, like that's just what I didn't know about the making of process. So to me, they weren't effects, and that's why it's getting an honorable mention. Only because even looking at them now, I know it's an effect in my brain, but I don't view it that way when I watch the movies now. It's just that's how it is. You know. So, but that's the only reason it's getting an honorable mention. Otherwise, definitely it'd be higher on my list. So, but yeah, any Star Wars movie, any effect, it doesn't matter. They're all amazing. <laughs> it's it's obviously a great pick. Um, I mean, anything I could comment on it would be a uh, would be an under understatement. Like Star Star Wars completely redefined how you even approach special effects yeah. in Hollywood and stuff. So. This movie, I mean, this series obviously lives on amazingly and really left its mark. Uh, the one thing I will say um, is the thing that I really appreciate about Star Wars as a franchise, not the only thing, but one of the things is that in this day and age, because of the history of the franchise, they are still using puppets and uh, makeup and uh, they're still mixing practical effects in with the CGI. And I think that's really important. And I... I don't want to like like I think there's certain superhero movies and stuff that I watch where certain characters are CGI. And sometimes I'm thinking, you know, you could have made a suit or you could have done a makeup effect and, uh, you know, maybe accomplished what you're doing there a little bit better. But I think 
Star Wars, in a really smart way, has kept uh, including the real puppets and the real makeup and uh, stuff like that, that I think is uh, just really, really awesome, you know? Yep. All right, man, what's your first pick of the night? Right, so uh, my first one, um, I actually went with a moment from Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, and uh, it's towards the end, and it's when they deal with the Angel of Death character. And uh, the reason I picked this is because this movie is, uh, it's a, it's directed by Guillermo del Toro, who is one of my favorite directors. And uh, the Angel of Death character in this movie um, is played by Doug Jones. And Doug Jones is one of the best, um, I just think he's one of the best actors when it comes to prosthetics and uh, sort of like creature actors. Um, I'm pretty sure he was the creature in uh, Shape of Water. Most Guillermo del Toro movies, he uses uh, Doug Jones a lot. Like he was the fawn in Pan's Labyrinth as well as the, um, I can't remember the character's name, but the 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 character with the uh, eyes in his hands. And uh, there's just so yeah, many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where I love Guillermo del Toro's directing. Um, his sort of... I don't know if it's the makeup artist that he works with or something, but there's something about the aesthetics in his movies that I always really appreciate because I always feel so imaginative and they feel real, but in a really imaginative way. And I love um, Doug Jones uh, acting and uh, his sort of physical presence as a lot of these characters. So it's one of those things where I could have gone with a Pan's Labyrinth moment. I could have gone with you know, tons of different moments from different movies, but I went with the angel of death simply because I love the aesthetics of this character. Like the character has this weird, like skeletal face and it doesn't have any eyes, but it has this, like these dark wings behind it that have a dozen eyes in the wings, almost kind of like a, uh, true to like biblical descriptions of angels and stuff like that, which is really uh, mind blowing. And it's, it's one of those things that I just appreciate the character design and it's, it felt really seamless. It felt really real and otherworldly in the movie. So I just went with this moment, but it is one of those things I could have gone with a dozen other Guillermo del Toro, Doug Jones (laughs) moments from other movies. You know what I mean? Right. Um, Yeah. And I still haven't seen this movie, so I honestly have. Oh, wow. Yeah, I still ha- I have no opinion on that at all. Um, <laughs> sorry. One of these afternoon on a rainy day, you got to put in Hellboy 2 because that summer that it came out, it was like this movie and uh, The Dark Knight were my top two films from that year. I think it was 2008. A great, great summer for movies. But those two were my favorites. So, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, my first pick of the night is Back to the Future. OK, uh, specifically There's... the car hitting 88 miles per hour oh nice disappearing and the light trails across the parking lot or the street or the sky depending on how they were doing it you know what yeah I mean? depending on how they were traveling um i absolutely love that effect seeing the car do that um that was an ilm effect that they covered in um the documentary um so i thought that was just really cool seeing like the model of the the actual model that they used for that kind of stuff and so That was, yeah, it's an effect. And if you look through the red tape, you can kind of see how they pulled it off, pulled it, pulled it together. If you just really pay attention to the sequence. But at the end of the day, I mean, that's a really cool moment and it really sells the movie. But it's one that wows me every time. And I'm like, yeah, the car is going to do it. Let's go. And I just like watching the car do that. It's like watching the Falcon go into hyperspace. You know what I mean? You know, so, yeah, that's it. 
I think uh, that's a great pick. Um, I, one thing I love about when uh, the DeLorean hits 88 miles per hour, like I love that they could have just made the car disappear, but I love that they still have the uh, tire track, like the flaming tire tracks that go on after uh, the DeLorean time travels because it feels so, I don't know, it's just a cool concept. It feels like there's still residual, even though the DeLorean isn't there anymore, there's still like this res- residual residual energy that carries on. And it's it kind of made for a really distinct look to that sequence, which I think was really smart. Um, so, yeah, that's great. I, I almost picked up Back to the Future moment, but I actually was thinking of... Uh, going with the hoverboards from back to the future too. Not sure. that I feel like that's the, any of those are the most advanced um, effects, but I think they were super believable at the time. And uh, it's one of those things that I feel like that whole sequence still holds up pretty well. So I mean, shit, they were believable because we wanted hoverboards <laughs> right on. Yeah. And we still want hoverboards. And if you tell me that hoverboards exist, I'm going to say they don't because that thing that you're riding around with the two wheels on it, by definition, is not a hoverboard. <laughs> Just saying. All right. Moving on. Uh, what's your next one? <laughs> okay, so um, for my for my next pick, I went with a moment from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, uh, one of my favorite movies. I went with the moment where Judge Doom, uh, he puts a cartoon shoe into the dip, if you remember that sequence. Yep. And uh, this is a movie, like, you want to talk about hybrid movies, like, Roger Rabbit is such a awesome case of mixing live action with um, animated characters. And I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of moments I could pick. Like there's a lot of moments where Bob Hoskins character and Roger Rabbit are conversing and some of the sort of stage blocking and choreography is really impressive when it comes to how does this real person move around the room and act against a imaginary cartoon character who isn't there you know what i mean and the way that certain like you know knickknacks around the room move and stuff like that i think there's a lot of really sophisticated uh choreography that goes throughout the movie but the reason i picked this moment is one like this one is a, a very memorable moment from the movie it's super frightening even though you're dealing with Christopher Lloyd, uh, his his character killing or essentially turning a cartoon character into a real version of itself. And the way it plays out is so it's just so good. Like when he dips, no pun intended, but when he dips the shoe into the liquid and how you have the animated character being dipped into the liquid and then you have the practical effect of the liquid bubbling and boiling and steaming and the way that those two those two different uh, realms of effects, you know, the animated and the practical mix right there, like it's a really beautiful sequence when it comes to the um, just the way how the way that everything was applied and the way everything feels super immersive and believable. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't have too much else to say. I just think it was an awesome moment. And uh, it is one of those things like it's really immersive and frightening even though on paper you wouldn't necessarily think it would be. So they pulled off something amazing there. Again, another ILM movie. Um, and <laughs> nice. Telling you, man, watch this docuseries. It's so good. I, I, I got, I, I'm dying to check it out. I so. almost want to watch it again. Anyway, um, it's, here's the thing about that docuseries, and I know I'm talking it up a lot, and I'm not, and Disney Plus is not giving me any money to talk up their stuff. Um, is It's, if you want to see 
new Star Wars. You can see new Star Wars because what you're actually getting for the first couple of episodes of this series is new old Star Wars. There is so much stuff that you've never seen before in this docuseries that you're going to just it's it's going to mind. It's going to be mind blowing just to see it, let alone the content they're covering. You know, when you get to see the meetings that George was in discussing things and how they're going to do things. And, you know, when they're telling him you can't do this because it's impossible. And he's like, go think about it. Like, that's George's response. You can't do this. This is impossible. And George just says, go think about it. Like, are you kidding? And then they're like, yeah, I guess we can do it. Here we go. This is how we're going to do it. <laughs> you know. Um, all right. Moving on. Um, the next movie is from The Dark Knight. Um, I'm specifically referring to the truck flip. Um, nice. This scene, I think we kind of maybe saw it a little bit in the trailer. And maybe not. Maybe they saved it for the film. I don't remember. I feel but, like I saw it in a lot of TV spots at the time. Yeah, you probably movie. did. But I think it was like after the movie came out. I'm just trying to think right. pre-movie. Like, did they spoil that in the trailer? Because that is a moment in the movie. That, <laughs> is, that is the moment where how in the world did they flip a truck like that? The no, the front end over the like the back end over the front end like that. How do you how do you flip a semi? Um, it was incredible to watch. And in terms of a physics game, you can kind of see it all playing. But if you watch the movie very, very, very carefully, you can see the air can, the air canister underneath the semi that did the majority of the work for them. <laughs> um, but you got to really look for it. You got to want to see it. Um, but that was just a moment of like shock and awe in terms of special effects it was incredible to watch them do that because and it wasn't done with cg it was done practically um and it was how do you do this how do you how do you manifest something like this it was done practically it was not done on a sound stage it was done for real downtown chicago on la salle street um and like i i've been on la salle street and i've every and the times i've been on that post that movie you look down the street and like dude the truck flipped right there <laughs> you know absolutely uh, so, yeah, just really, really cool, really, really cool scene. I love it. Um, that's all I got to say on it. There's some other cool effects, but I just love that truck flip scene. It's so clean. It's so precise. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I think this is another, this is a great one, and this is another, um, like I know you mentioned there's like an air cannon below the truck, but I've never noticed that. I think it's uh, I think it's a pretty seamless uh, special effect that's the problem super is, memorable. The problem is I told everybody, <laughs> I just told you all about the air can. So now you're all going to go watch the movie and you're going to see it and you're going to go crap. Drew just spoiled that. Um, no, anyway. but it, it is, it is really well done. It's super memorable. There's been like a hundred movies that have tried to take the, t the same idea and reuse it through the years. Um, so yeah, great pick. I don't have too much else to say. It's just, it's just one of those really good ones that you can't really critique too deeply, you know? Sure. Yeah. All right, man. Okay, so What's your next one. Yeah, down to my next pick. Um, this is a uh, this is a moment that really captured my imagination as a kid, and I think it holds up pretty well to this day. And that is uh, the moment in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom where the guy gets his heart ripped out of his chest. Because <laughs> it's one of those things. To be honest, um, this this specific moment uh, I had tied for a while with. Uh, the alien um, popping out of, uh, I oh. think it's Ripley's chest in uh, the first Alien movie, or maybe it's an Aliens. It, it's not Ripley. 
But there's there's a dream sequence where it's Ripley. There's a dream sequence where it's Ripley, and that's and that's the, that's the specific moment I was thinking of. But okay, because that's the that's the beginning of Aliens. Okay. The Burster scene at the dinner was an alien, and that was um what crew member? Was I can't that? remember his name, but. Right, well, anyway, talk about your thing. I, <laughs> I so so for for whatever reason that Ripley dream sequence uh, chestburster scene always lives in my memory, and uh, they did such a good job with it. Like it looks really realistic, but the problem with that scene is like there's kind of the stagnant shack or shot above um, Ripley as you see this alien head, you know, sort of stretching her stomach skin, and it's one of those things that. It looks great, but at the same time, I can see how they did it every time I watch that. Like, I'm like, okay, well, I know that's not her real body, and she's actually, like, probably standing or sitting perpendicular to what this uh, fake body is doing. Like, she's underneath the table or whatever. The thing about the the moment in the Temple of Doom, where where I think this is actually a similar moment, because it's still pulling something out of somebody's chest... (laughs) Uh, the thing about this specific moment is I think the way the cinematography works and the way that the editing works and how the camera like breaks away from certain spots. Like at one moment you see the guy with his fingers against the, the guy's chest and then the camera breaks away and then it comes back to that. And it's done in a really clever way as well as the the music really Im- immersing you into this moment it ends up being really believable. And I think that this scene holds up. Like it's been a couple of years since I've watched this, but I do think when you watch it, it feels real as, as far fetched and as crazy of a scene it is. I feel like it does feel like it's really happening. And that's, what's really impressed me is kind of just, this was one of my favorite movies as a kid. It really captured my imagination, but I do think the effects hold up uh, in that regard. So I don't know if you have any, further if you have any comments on this drew or any thoughts um i love this movie i love the sequence you're i agree with you entirely that that's it's a very it it's weird it's a lot of of makeup effect and maybe puppetry effect but yeah it looks real and yeah in my opinion aside from the aside from the skin kind of healing back if you will everything everything looks real. Like, that's the thing. Like, it's just, and again, another ILM project. (laughs) Right on. (laughs) And I'm not trying to really um, drive up ILM on that one, but when you see the, when you think about the movies that that, that they ended up making, you're, it's literally that, that blown away kind of moment. You're like, holy crap, all of this is ILM, you know? Um, I I think it's the same case when like, um, I don't know. A lot of times, like if I try to think of my favorite movie themes as far as the music goes, it always comes back to John Williams for so right. many moments, you know, and I think that's this is kind of the same thing where it's like ILM is responsible for so many of the great special effects from right. your childhood. Right. Um, but yeah, I yeah, I love these movies all together. OK, <laughs> um, I'm going to hit you with another ILM one. But this is uh, going a different route. We're going to talk about the movie Willow. Um, very specifically, the Finn Rizal morph shape change scene at the end. When yeah. she's got to turn her back into the person. But she's a goat <laughs> at that point. She's a goat. Is she a goat? I, yeah, because she didn't get turned into a pig. So she was a goat. Um, 
then she morphed into a ostrich and then into yeah. a turtle and then into a tiger and then into a woman. Um, they talk about this very specifically on the Light and Magic documentary. And it was the first time they ever did what's called morphing in a movie. It's the first time that ever happened. Oh, wow. Digitally. I mean, yeah, they've had practical effects when you think of like American werewolf in London and you get to see the practical effect of like using the makeup effects to make the guy transform into a, uh, a you know, um, a werewolf. But this is the first time it was done digitally and it's gorgeous and it still holds up in my yeah. opinion. Um, maybe I've seen the movie too many times, but I think it still holds up. Um, it's I just a beautiful so scene. It's a beautiful moment in the movie. It's a beautiful effect, the way it all kind of plays out. But yeah, yeah, I th- I think that whole sequence there are there are shots where you full on see her morph from one animal to another. But it, I think this is another one similar to the uh, Temple of Doom one where I was just talking about where they do strategically uh, change camera angles at certain moments just to make it more believable just so you don't you don't see the effect long enough to start picking it apart you just still it's like the right timing so you still believe everything if that makes yeah, sense yeah, yeah. so yeah um all right man what's your second to last pick of the night <laughs> yeah so uh speaking of werewolves uh i went with the uh transformation scene from an american werewolf in london um of course you did <laughs> i mean werewolf movies like a good transformation is kind of like you need a good transformation for a werewolf movie. And as the years go on, it gets harder and harder to uh, find unique, memorable ways for a werewolf to transform. But uh, no, this is just of all time. Like this is one of the greatest where werewolf ma- uh, transformation scenes. And it's one of those things where it's, it's creepy, but the movie overall has this sort of sense of humor to it. And I feel like, this scene is really creepy, but there is a bit of that humor still under the surface a little bit. And the effects are just amazing. And it's another one of those things where the camera shot will change and they'll focus on the character's hands and then they'll focus on their face and then their ears and the, the shots go around and they show all these different effects. And uh, it's another one of those things where they'll show the effect just long enough to, for you to feel like it's real. And then you move on to the next thing. And uh I don't know how to describe it. It's just this is one of I feel like this is the number one werewolf transformation on a lot of people's lists. Like some people would disagree, but this is one of the ones that it was so great at the time when this movie came out in the 80s, I believe. And uh, it still holds up super well. And it was all done practically. And uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say also, about it. It was just well, so good. Really, you know? It's a really creepy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a really creepy um, transformation, too. And there's been other ones, like, similar. But that one's, I think this is probably one of the first, like, practical effect that did it like this. Like, this level of... Yeah, and maybe, maybe part yeah, of it guess, is, like, it's a, it's a long enough transformation. Like, it, you feel like you're immersed in that moment for a good chunk of time. Like, it doesn't happen within a couple seconds. Like, it's a... I feel like it's a, like two minutes long at least or something like you're watching yeah, this guy it is, it is a very transform for a long time so yeah it's just it's it is a pretty lengthy sequence that's funny um <laughs> all right so mine one is jurassic park nice 
there's a lot of effects in this movie. This is the um, this is one of the era dividing films in my opinion. This is the first film where George Lucas realized that computer tech has caught up to his brain and he can now make the Star Wars prequel. <laughs> um, Jurassic Park. The scene I'm referring to is the scene when the T Rex escapes from his cell in the rainstorm. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> now this, the, is, this is actually the exact moment I was thinking, but go now, on. Now the reason I'm bringing up this scene is because there's the moment in the film earlier when you first see the Brachiosaurus and everyone's like, you're supposed to have that big awe that, oh my God, there's a real life dinosaur on the screen. This is that film student brain of mine where even though I see that, I still see a CGI creature. Yeah. Okay. When I see the T-Rex escape sequence in the rainstorm, they blended practical and CG so closely that to me, that's a real life dinosaur. And there's no there was no question in my mind that that was a real life dinosaur on screen. Um, yeah. The uh, there's a shot where Alan Grant and Lex. Are kneeling down next to the flipped over Ford and the you see it's the shot it's the up close shot of the foot for the T-Rex push it a step <laughs> down into the step down into the mud yeah it's just that up close shot of the foot with them in the background and it's just right into the mud that's a puppet yeah okay and then they cut to the up to the close shot where the head of the T-Rex comes and like sniffs them and blows Alan Grant's hat off his head that's a puppet but then you see the shot of him like stepping out from the cage itself, ripping through the stuff. That's CGI. And it's blended so well that you almost can't tell the difference at all. Like with the T-Rex, there's only like a couple spots where I'm like, yeah, it's definitely CGI. But there's spots with the T-Rex that I cannot tell at all if it's real or fake. Um, yeah. Some of it I know the red tape because you watch making of documentaries or you watch some featurettes and you kind of learn it and you go, oh, okay, you can start spotting things. But that sequence, I absolutely love it. It's gripping, exciting. You're watching this dinosaur and like complete awe and amazement. Just this is amazing. You know, like that's what's going through your head the whole time. I love that sequence. Probably my favorite part of that movie is that sequence when the T-Rex gets out. But yeah, you want to talk yeah. about that at all? But that's yeah. I figured so, this one was going to be I figured you and I would match on the truck flip from the Dark Knight or this scene. But. So we, we didn't match. Um, I definitely was thinking of a lot of Jurassic Park moments for my uh, short list, um, but we didn't match for this one, unfortunately. But I think it's a great pick. And uh, yeah, when you started talking about Jurassic Park, I was going through all the moments in my head. And then I was like, no, it's the T-Rex scene in the rain. Like yeah. That is such a great scene. And uh, you commenting on that. That moment when the uh, you see the T-Rex's foot plant into the mud and squish down the mud, that shot just it conveyed the weight of this creature so well. Just the way the foot sinks into the mud, you're like, OK, this creature weighs a couple tons. Like this is a heavy creature, you know. And then there's also like the moment where it's again a moment with the puppet where uh, the you have the T-Rex's head. um against um i can't remember if it was the window or like the skylight of the jeep um i believe that the kids are in but when the uh t-rex like exhales and out of its nostrils it just fogs up the uh 
the window, uh, it just feels like at that moment, you're just like, this creature feels alive. Like it doesn't feel like a puppet because they had those little, those little uh, touches. They had that, uh, you know, the T-Rex's breath fog up the window, like so perfectly right there. And yeah, again, like this is another one where they really geniusly blended, um, special, uh, uh, CGI with, uh, puppetry and practical effects. And, uh, yeah. 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 Awesome pick. Yeah. All right, man. What's your final pick of the night? (laughs) Yeah. So my final pick, um, harkens back to uh, one of your honorable mentions, Drew, because I actually went with a uh, Star Wars moment. And uh, this was probably the first moment that I thought of for my list. And it's one of those things that I had to pick. And I think the beauty of Star Wars is how or one of the one of the beautiful aspects of it. It's it's funny. I don't want to I don't want to be a Sith and speak in absolutes because like I can't say like this one aspect is the beauty of Star Wars. But one of the things about Star Wars that I find beautiful is it's such a vast universe. And I feel like everybody has different aspects of it that they cling to. Like some people get really, really into the spacecrafts and the, um, the different spaceships and stuff and the, uh, the tech aspect of it. And some people are more into the, the droids and some people are more into the Jedi and the Sith and the philosophy behind the force and what it is. And, uh, one of the number one aspects of star Wars for me that I've always loved about it is actually the creature design. And I've talked to friends about this and some people have thought it was weird because you don't always think of, I do, but some people don't always think of the creatures and Star Wars first. You know, they don't think of Star Wars yeah. as being about monsters and aliens. And uh, I went with a moment from these movies that captured my imagination from when I was a little kid. And it was one of my favorite things I've, I had ever seen. And that is... Uh, from Return of the Jedi, the Jabba's Palace sequence. And it's one of those things that when I was a kid, it was like, I mean, I always loved the Moss Eisley Cantina, but yeah, just Jabba's Palace as a whole. Um, I just, I loved that whole, that whole portion of the movie, all the different creatures. I loved Jabba. I loved the Rancors. I just, I watched that and there's so many different aliens and creatures and it just really, really got my mind going. And it's, it's one of those things where I feel like Jabba the Hutt as a puppet, as a practical effect, he holds up really well. I think the Rancor still looks pretty good as this sort of like combination of like superimposed puppetry and uh, maybe some stop motion in there. I'm not really sure. I think that there is why don't you, you go watch see that the black. I, why don't you go watch the ILM documentary and find out how <laughs> they did that <laughs> I, I, I I know I know for sure there was uh puppetry. I just don't know if they did stop motion for parts of it, but I feel like they did. Um I feel like so many because it was done crap pract uh practically and with so much um craft and love behind it, I feel like so much of the scene holds up, but it's just a really dingy grungy part of the movie like everything feels lived in and real and dirty and you have all these just really really fun alien characters that I always loved and uh I mean for me with Star Wars I always go back like I love talking about the force and uh the philosophy behind that but I think for me creature design and makeup effects and puppetry is the other aspect of Star Wars that I really really love the most and it's one of those things that I don't know a lot. Like I couldn't tell you what the name of some random part of an X-Wing is. Like, I don't know a lot of the tech stuff, but 
I do like I did learn what a Gamorrean guard was at a young age and I still remember it, you know, and I did know a lot about those aliens in Jabba's palace and different species and stuff like that. And that's kind of I think this was one of my first I feel like I'm going on and on. But what I'll say is this is like, oh, man. (laughs) this is one of those moments in a movie that really captured my imagination and it really started to ignite a passion in me for creature design and special effects and stuff and it's still one of my favorites to this day so yeah that's why it tops my list yeah so let's talk about job of the hut real quick um (laughs) you can do any cg job of the hut you want and none of them any Star Wars fan will tell you none of them are going to look as good as the puppet job of the hut. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's the best period. Um, and uh, there was a rumor that there's a job of the hut television series coming for Disney plus. Yeah. All right. I mean, if it's, if that's true, that's cool. But if we don't get to see a puppet job, it's going to be weird. <laughs> so, um, or you guys got to have like the best CGI and that, you know, like, because that needs to look good. And I feel like Return of the Jedi set the bar and they've never met it. So, but mm-hmm. yeah, the job, all of Jabba's palace, that whole area, that's amazing. It's like, yeah, it's a lot of creature effects, but um, the Rancor stuff specifically, God, that's so cool how they did that. Um, and yeah, some of the Rancor stuff, like, I guess there was not to spoil the documentary or anything, but there was a, uh, there's a part where they thought to themselves, well, maybe we could just make it a suit and we can put a guy in a suit. <laughs> Um, and then superimpose that, but the suit wasn't working and you get to see a glimpse of like the suit itself, <laughs> um, which is kind of funny. And it was like, man, I'm glad they went the route they went. Um, so nice. yeah, yeah, really cool. All right. So my final pick of the night is the movie speed. Um, oh, interesting. And I'm specifically focusing on the bus jump scene. Um, here's the thing. When speed came out, um, they had this moment in the uh, they had that moment in the trailer where the bus jumps and you think to yourself, I've never seen that before. And here's the thing. Movies are supposed to show you stuff you've never seen before. And part of Speed's box office draw was the fact that everyone had to see the bus jump. And as simple as that sentence is in comparison to goblins and orcs and ogres on Lord of the Rings to Jabba's palace, to the American <laughs> werewolf in London, to Willow morph scene with some person being turned into animals to a car racing back in time to a T-Rex escaping to Roger Rabbit being dipped in goo. <clears throat> a bus jumping sounds simple, doesn't it? The interesting part is that that shot was done practically. They jumped the bus for real in the story, in the script, the bus, there was a 50 foot gap on the road. The bus can't stop because it's got a bomb on it and they can't go below 50 miles an hour. So they're going to jump the gap. Okay. Let's all right, let's do this. So in the movie, they jumped the gap. If you go and watch the making of documentary on or the behind the scenes stuff for speed, you'll find out that they didn't, they jumped the bus. They just didn't do it over a gap. So what they did was is they cleared the bus out. They had just the driver. He was set up in this limbo rig. So when the bus went into the air, he was like kind of floating. <laughs> um, so like the way it would work is like he was set. It's like this crazy bungee cord rig. <laughs> so like when the bus hit the jump, he'd be in like the suspended animation until it hit the ground. But that way he wouldn't suffer any like 
back injuries or anything like that from okay. a crash. It basically just hold him in hold him in limbo. So they do the jump. The bus actually jumps the 50 feet. And then what they did was with all the recording, they just digitized the what the bus landed on. So they just used mm. computers to create the gap. <laughs> nice. And it looks amazing. And you bought it and it there was not one part where you thought it was fake. Yeah. And that's the magic of making movies. And that was like when I thought of this list, I was like, speed will be my number one because of this moment, because it's such a simple thing to say, oh, we're just going to have a bus jump today. If you were going to do the bus jumping, if Tom Cruise was making the movie, the bus is going to jump for real. If Marvel's making the movie, it's going to all be done with computers. And that's not a knock at Marvel. It's just it's all going to be done with computers because that's how they're going to do it. Um, it's just that's it's movie making that doesn't exist anymore. Let's do it for real. Let's do it practically. And yes, they used some computers to fill in some gaps to make you go, okay, there's where you know. And you have to know what you're looking for because, but it because it does not look fake when you watch that movie. Um, everyone should see Speed. It's a freaking amazing movie. But that scene, I I absolutely love it. And knowing that it was real makes it even more cooler. But more cooler it just makes it like such a cooler sequence but that's the thing like you go to these movies to see something you've never seen before and that's what draw what drives you to the movies you know that's the real question we're all asking so that's all i got on that nice uh, i don't know if you have anything to add you're probably like no you said it all <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah pretty much <laughs> um, but that does bring us to the end of our list so peter what are we um doing next week man yeah, so I think I've got a weird list, and uh, I hope it's not too much of a challenge. Um, so I just kind of, yeah, I was kind of looking up different uh, nerdy topics, and uh, I found something that kind of inspired this list, and I thought it seems really entertaining and fun to do, but it, this one might be a little bit of a challenge, so sorry about that. But mm. my list comes from the idea that, at this point, nerd culture is, like, super mainstream, like comic-con superheroes like a lot of this stuff is really like household names at this point and uh just the world's embraced nerd culture in a way that we thought never would really happen but i still feel like there are aspects of um nerd culture and stuff like that that aren't embraced by the mainstream and that's kind of where my list goes in is uh what are your top five nerdy things that you love that probably never will be mainstream if that makes sense and uh this could be if this stumps you drew you could go really specific as in like i'm really into this one book series or comic series or something and i don't think that that's ever going to be a big oh. like mainstream hit or you could go gotcha. with something really broad if you think that like like i don't know if larping will ever be as like mainstream as like maybe superhero movies or something so like I feel like there's a lot well, of different ways to be. approach this. <laughs> right. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just kind of spitballing ideas off the top of my head. So, um, and I don't know this, there's a lot of ways you could approach this and I feel like it could be a uh, challenge, but I also think that it could just be a really entertaining and possibly funny conversation when we sit down next week. So <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm that's totally it. <laughs> this, and like, I can think of a couple right off the top of my head now. 
Oh, so. beautiful, beautiful. I'm 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 kind of stumped at this moment, but I'm gonna try to oh, find some fun things to talk about. So glad you stumped yourself. So that makes me feel a little better. Um, <laughs> all right, man. Well, we'll keep everyone up to date on um, uh, the nonsense going on right now with uh, HBO Max as we learn more. We will let you know. Um, so because I think it's gonna get weirder before we get an actual plan. Again, I just want to hear a plan. Um, Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, Peter, you ready to toss this episode in the can? Yeah, let's go for it. Cool. Um, everybody, do us a favor. Check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. You can hit us up there. Social media, either way works. Uh, we are on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review. We love those five stars uh, because it, um, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. Um, you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre. And that's where I'll be letting you know that I prefer my xenomorphs to be singing lounge songs in space diners. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, Yep, that's, I mean, that's the way to go if you're going to do it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all right, everybody, for the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And thanks for listening. Have a good night.